I'm pretty sure that Jack Black has so many other things to worry about other than the Quackalope <laughs> podcast copyright <laughs> error of 2021. <laughs> I think it's such a footnote in his storied life that uh, I, I don't even think his assistant to his assistant manager would track it. I think that's a little yeah. bit presumptuous of you. I don't think Jack Black actually has assistants. He's too down to earth. Yeah, you're man. right. You're right. You're right. What do I mean? Jack Black is a treasure, national treasure, that man. I don't that's think he was he in that movie. I think he was in Jumanji. <laughs> I, good poll. I like that poll. Thank you. That was great. Thanks. These are high Thanks. quality jokes, Jan. You might want to join in at some point. Wow. Okay. I think I did. I, I did a mistake inviting you two here. It's too many people <laughs> just going at me all the time. I don't. I don't. I don't know how to defend myself from this. To, to, like, to, to be clear, I think it's just that it's a different kind of insult. You're used to the same stuff from Jesse, and so like you've developed like a natural reaction or skin to that and then this is just you're not you're you're not expecting the particular angles at which we're jokingly or not jokingly attacking you well the, the good thing about jesse is that he balances it out like he he insults and then he loves right like he 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 gives me a little compliment here he says like i'm the love of his life and we're gonna do all these things you know like he he knows how to keep me at a good, you know, balanced out. He's, and he, happy he, he's, and sad, he's a happy good sad. talker. He keeps it interesting. He's a good talker. <laughs> he 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 knows he knows how to do the the table talk. That's for sure. That's very and speaking true. of tables and talk, welcome to Played It Once, a podcast that about games. Horrible, we've only played. <laughs> that was horrible. That was so bad. Okay, all right. We'll so keep bad. moving until it naturally happens. Yeah, that was. We're still cold. That was interesting. That was that, that was, was me trying that was me trying to show Will how not to do it. It was it was Oh, is that what it was? Yes. Okay. I so here's how I was viewing it. You know, my my son and I were watching Home Alone earlier today, <laughs> and I was just kind of assuming that I was Marv and I was walking up to the door <laughs> and I was burning my hand on it. And while I was burning my hand on it, I'm looking back at Harry like you see this, right? Don't do this and telling him to go to the back door. <laughs> Will, are you going to go to the back door then? Is that is that your plan? That's a personal question, I mean, Jan, my- and I don't think that applies <laughs> to the podcast that we're talking about. Uh, wow. I'm glad you put that in there before I was like, well, my back door is right next to me over here. I could go touch it, but I, I now I don't think I want to. I hope your back door sounds- is close to you and I hope you can touch well, it. That's, that's just a matter okay. of Okay. This has exceeded the PG-13 <laughs> rating that we usually like to have for this show. Um, and I thought, Jeremy, how was explicit my lord <laughs> gentlemen wow i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry there's a lot of there's a lot of tension Ooh. going on in this in this conversation Usa. Usa. i think we all got to breathe in a little bit you know just like take back all that attraction that apparently we're all exuding through the camera mm. let's reel it in mm. boys reel it in Definitely a little bit it. just a little Definitely bit feeling it you should, you know what you should do, Devin. You should put on that that sexy lighting that you showed us. Oh, before, you, you want me to turn on the mood lighting? Recording. I'll turn on the mood lighting. Oh yeah, yeah. That, that 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 would help me out a little bit more. Oh, okay. You know. All right, all right. One moment here. You know, it would Wait, it would unlock is this just, the door. Is this is just a I'm way saying. to get me to leave? I, I, I get it. <laughs> Ooh, it's right? like it's like a it's like a street lamp. Yeah, and then he looks corner. tan. Now he looks tan. Look at that. Mm, look at that. He does look, look tan. At the, the transformation. 
It's that Arkansas sun, Look right? at that. <laughs> this is like Matthew McConaughey, and this is Tilda Swinton. <laughs> I, I can't. I cannot argue with that. I'm starting. To, I'm starting to get comments here, Devin. Do you want to be part of the actual Qu- uh, Quackalope show? Because I, I people want to see you now. <sighs> I mean, hey, I'm always willing. I mean, you know what? If you want to check out my face, it's eventually going to sometime beyond that one of like the three different Bloodborne videos. If you want to check out my face because it's terrible, but wow, okay, Will, we need to immediately jump into this. First off, don't ever say that about yourself. Second off, (laughs) if there wasn't a pandemic, I'd come to your back door. (laughs) Oh. And on that note, welcome to Played It Once, a podcast about games we've only played once. The reality is, most board games only make it to the table one time, and first impressions matter, so me made a podcast about ours. I'm your guest host, Will Lippincott, along with our other guest host, Devin Norris, and also the handsome... Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful man himself, Jan Begas. Oh, I definitely thought you should have just literally read off, insert adjective here, yes, Jan Yes, I was about to say. <laughs> well, you know, I, I try. I tried. Wow, guys, welcome. So, Will, the thing you forgot to say, today we're featuring the Quackalope writing team. Oh, that, this you're is, right, I missed This is it. exciting. We've, this is the first time we've ever had so many ducks and geese it's and It's possible that his thoughts were derailed by Jan <laughs> laughing hysterically. It's not my fault. Y'all are funny. That was the perfect it. moment to do it. Will, good job. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. I can't. I can only take credit for what I what I try to do. And I tried. I tried real Wait, hard. Wait, guys, is, is this the moment for the cold open? Do I need to read it now? No, 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 no. We went through. Devin, we went through the cold open, my friend. We're Wait. good. Oh, oops, <laughs> guys! Yes, that I wasn't that at the wasn't, right part of the script. That wasn't private conversation, Devin. This is going on the show. Oh, I am not aware yeah. of what I signed up for, and I'm and, and scared. De- yeah, and dear listeners, now you know why we're the writing team and not the talking team. <laughs> They're just like, oh my god, shut these guys up, and please bring back Jesse so okay, that him and boys, Jan can actually boys, move on with something. Boys. With all that said, if this is the first time you've joined Bladed Once, welcome. Here in this show, we touch on three fundamental topics. An introduction to the featured game, the context in which we played, and our overall opinions of the experience. And this week's featured game, William, will you do the honors? Yes, I will, Jan. This week's featured game is Dwellings of Elder Vale by Breaking Games and uh, uh, designed, not written, well, written a little bit, designed by Luke Laurie. Mm, okay, so this is a pretty big game. Uh, there's a lot of hype going around this, so I think it, eh? I think it's the good opportunity to delve as deep as we can into what this game is. And speaking of, Devin, what is Dwellings of Eldervale about? All right, so Dwellings of Eldervale is first and foremost a uh, Kickstarter game, um, which will give you, I think, as we keep discussing, a little bit of context into what is going on um, with a, a lot a lot of the components, a lot of the mechanics, but it is like centrally a worker placement game and it's set within this like lost magical world. There's these elemental monsters that are roaming around that cause havoc, but the monsters aren't what the uh, players are particularly focused as. They are one of the many factions within the world of Elder Vale and they are trying to essentially move within the power vacuum 
and build power Mm -hmm. and build dwellings, uh, like physical constructions, like within the place and to assert their dominance on the land. Just trying to find a place to live in this crazy world we call Eldervale. So... You touched on you touched on a few mechanics in there that I, that 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 are basically the cornerstones of this game, and there is a lot happening in Dwellings of Eldervale because I believe that this is essentially what a lot of people call a hybrid game. Uh, it's a combination between worker placement, Euro mechanics, tableau building, resource management, Ameritrash mechanics in terms of the combat, and also a little bit of area majority and influence. Right? Definitely. Yeah. There's a lot happening in this game, uh, and to Basically, what you're trying to do here is that you are, as a typical Eurogame would, uh, gain victory points. And you'll gain victory points by going up certain elemental tracks. You'll do that by influencing different different regions on the board. You'll do that by gaining or completing certain quests and abilities. Uh, also, foretelling prophecies that you collect as well. And also getting certain tableau cards into your side uh, to start gaining a little bit more power. How does the game work, actually? It's even though we have said almost every single mechanic under the sun, it is pretty straightforward. All you do on your turn is you have two choices. You either A, place a worker on the board or B, you regroup, which means taking all your workers from all the locations that they could possibly be in back into your supply. Here's the cool thing, though. Every time that you place out a worker, and you put it on a location, There, this board constantly expands depending on how many players there are through some exploration mechanics, you're activating an action on the board. So that is your worker placement action. However, when you regroup people back, you're not just regrouping them and having a waste to turn. No, no, no. You're actually activating other personal actions that you've accumulated throughout the game through another. It's almost like a, like a little bit of engine building to a certain Which, degree. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You say, and you say that, Jan, and that is definitely something interesting about Dwellings of Eldervale, the pulling back mechanic. Normally in a worker placement game, you hate having to gather your workers back if it's not automatically done for you at the end of a round, because that's generally, like you said, a wasted turn. But here in Dwellings of Eldervale, you don't have to wait. You can do something active with that turn, which, like you said, is normally just kind of a passing turn. And that is an interesting aspect of the game, Yeah, uh, certainly for me, because worker placement is kind of my jam. My first, like, big thing was um, Lords of Waterdeep. So worker placement is a really good thing that I like. Yeah, and uh, going off what you said, I would say that in most games, though, the uh, like pulling back workers isn't even really a turn. Like in a lot of yeah. in a lot of games, oh, yeah, it is no. just a refresh. Like you grab them, and, and so upkeep. you can't even necessarily even call it like like an action or even just a like a smaller action. It's normally just the resetting that happens before you continue the process. And like what this does is that it actually like it's not even that it's you also get to do something in dwellings. Like you, when you retake your workers, it's like your strongest part of your entire like game yeah it's pivotal and the other and the last thing that we should talk about here is how combat resolves because as we said there is a meritrash in this game so you will be rolling dice you will be rolling (laughs) dice you you will be rolling those dice so the way that it works is actually very straightforward uh if you ever place a minion that means through the the worker placement action of placing a worker in an area that's already contested or that has any either a monster miniature or meeple or standee you go into combat 
what you'll do is that depending on the type of meeple that you are combating, you will take dice that are specific to that uh, unique piece and you will roll them. Whoever has, out of all the dice that you're able to collect, whoever has the highest roll among those dice wins. So that means, for example, if Will and I are, com- are fighting and I roll three, one six and two other dice are just a four and a three and Will rolls all fives, I would win that combat. It's the a single highest die amongst everything. If there's at any point a tie, then you go for the second one. If there's another tie, the third one, etc., etc., etc. And that's I I think that's a good overview at least of the basic mechanics. I'm sure that as we go through the rest of the show, we'll start delving deeper into how you get, you know, prophecy cards, how you get magic cards, how you get tableau cards, all that type of fun stuff. But with that, Let's go ahead and jump into context, everyone. How did you learn this game? Why did you want to seek it out in the first place? And how many players did you play it with? Yeah, uh, so for me, um, this was actually the final game that I had um, in transition between where I was and before I started uh, working with you guys at Quackalope. And so this was kind Mm -hmm. of like a final uh, commitment that I wanted to make sure that I finished through. And so I was working with, uh, I'd I'd already kind of, kind of worked with uh, breaking games on, on a previous uh, review and this was the Mm follow-up and they were able to secure a review copy for me. And so I was able to get it to here to the house and um, I, you know, I moved in the summertime, but this was one of the ones that came a little bit later. So I played it here and um, I've played it, uh, once for the rule session, um, learning experience, and then I played it once solo um, against the AI that they had, and then I played Devin, a one two-player game. Wait, 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 wait! You're Did not he gonna really just, just say that, yeah, right? Exactly. You're not just gonna skim over this, man. You're not gonna get away with it. Uh, so I, here's how I view it. I uh-huh. played each of those moments once. No, 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 no. This excuse has been used before, man. Just oh take the shame. You, 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 your first time on the show and you already did it wrong. No, it's so, okay. So here, here's, here's how perfect. I view it. Here's how I Not view it. Not everyone can be like Will and me that we've only played this game once and we decided only to talk once. about it immediately. Right? Immediately. Not everybody can be that, that precise and okay, professional. Uh, I, you know? I think you, that it's, it's a lot to strive for. As, as, as a, as a, as a writer, someone who focuses on words, both spoken <laughs> and otherwise, I think if I went back through the historical record, if I went back <laughs> through the historical record, I might have one of the smallest blemishes of the entire, entire like cast and guest list that has ever appeared on this show. <laughs> you know what? Let's not get into that. You 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 were saying about yeah about your, yeah, your, yeah, your yeah, first yeah, learning yeah. experience. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, that's a curious interruption there. But um, <laughs> so yeah, well, one solo play against the AI system, one two player game, and then one um, you, you can call it a game. You can not call it a game. It's it, I imagine other reviewers have the same situation where they play through a game while learning the rules just to have a visual like anchor to what's going on. And so for us, Will, we actually played together. Uh, we, did. we learned the we we learned the rules rules beforehand, right? We sat down, we went over kind of like every single one of the actions, like this does that, that does this, this is what happens when you do that. Uh, and I think overall, honestly, we like we 
we had decided to take an entire day to just play games, and Dwellings of Elderville was a big one on my list. I didn't get an so invite, was- but I, I I recognized what you guys decided to do. But you oh know, oh, so I mean- next time I'll just assume that you're happy to pay, pay for a plane ticket out of, you know, short notice and just get over here, right? That's What's totally wrong with fine. the car ride? I mean, that's what I heard. What's wrong <laughs> with the car ride? So, we we decided to sit down and read the rule book together. I know that's big taboo, big no-no for usual game days, but, you know, we, we're, we're used to it. Either way, it wasn't a very difficult game to learn. There was a lot of small discrepancies or variations or, or things that happened within another thing that we you might get lost in translation, especially during an, an initial game. A dream within but a the, dream. Uh, I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, Inception. But <laughs> as we started going through it, it really wasn't that complex. Like, we were actually surprised of how... It's a super know, accessible game. Mm-hmm, how smooth it can be. Um, in terms of why we wanted to play this, and actually in terms of we only played with, with each other, so a two-player game for both of us. Uh, Will, what about you? Did you feel that it was a, it, it was easy easy to get to and easy to comprehend? Or Yeah, I, th- I, I agree that it was easy to comprehend. Plus, uh, Jan, you've kind of developed a teaching style that really works quite well, whether or not oh. you've read, read beforehand or not. So, it was, it was very easy to just kind of run through everything. You know, we're both uh, experienced gamers. So, it was, and the, the rule book was <laughs> wow. well... <laughs> I, I, I was going to say gamer, dirt off my shoulders. I guess I was going to say that I Jan's mean, a terrible teacher, but I, I guess you know, it's just a matter of perspective. That's that's a usual consensus. I'm actually so this is the first time I ever gotten positive remarks on my teaching. <laughs> Yay! I must be improving, or Will's just being nice. I don't know. Maybe which I'm one. just, or also maybe I'm just used to it now, and I've gotten used <laughs> to the abuse. But you know, uh, you're it, used but, to bad. That's <laughs> wow, Devin. Do you want to be back on this show, man? I'm just like, just let me know. I, I, I'm just assuming from my attempt on the cold open. I've just already assumed I'm not invited back. <laughs> no comment. Will please. Oh man, hundred percent. Seriously though, the way the way you were able to teach it and kind of maybe and it's partly you, partly how the rule book is written. It's written very linear linearly so that you can understand how to play the game and you can do like what we did we basically open the game get out the rule book for the first time and you can get there and get playing man the, the one the, yes i i agree with you 100 too will uh very easy very easy to get going the one thing i will say before we we start is that i want to dig a little bit deeper into why did we play it because there's it would be a disservice if we don't talk about the absolute monster machine of hype that is surrounding this game at it least is hype for me. It is hype personified. And if you, um, you know, it, it's just, it, it has dominated all the board game media when it, for, when it came out, when it started being delivered to Kickstarter backers. It's all you really heard about. Dwellings of Eldervale, Dwellings of Eldervale. And it just, and it's a giant box, frankly. And you have a small apartment as it has come up many, many times before. So, <laughs> wait, Jan has a small to, apartment? Jan has a small apartment. I know. <laughs> it could be news if you. Je- ladies and gentlemen, if this is their first time listening to Played It Once, you may have not heard yet, but Jan has a small apartment, and he needs to know what kind of games he needs to keep on his shelf. As So, yes, 100% will. I have heard that this game was amazing by Jeremy Howard, Derek Funkhauser, James Hudson, um, absolutely every other reviewer that I've heard of, all the YouTube materials, like, they have done such an incredible job marketing this thing. 
not a single person that I've ever, before I played it, I had not heard a single negative comment about this game beyond that from Alex Ratcliffe the <laughs> Third, ASR3. Uh, what's the new name? Uh, no, oh, I was going to say Buzzkill. There's, there's, a, there's a muskrat in there. Yeah, <laughs> there's a few. There's a few North Undershire. Blah blah blah. We're, we're cross pollinating here. I hate here. to what be him you, when Devin? I'm filling out forms. Can you imagine that? Just like filling out <laughs> any paperwork as an adult. He just he must be in there forever. Uh, I can speak uh, in the club because you know I, my name isn't quite as long, but my full name William Champlin Lippincott the Fourth. It is hard to put all that in a, in a form. Champlin, that's downright Champ- nobility right there. Yeah. Uh, oh my god, it, it's close. I, I feel so, for Alex sometimes. So, so Devin, what about you? Did were you also kind of like hooked into the hype machine, or did you just want to play this because you knew it was popular so, for the sakes of just popularizing um, the channel that you were in? What do you call it? Uh, I had um, the first game that I reviewed for Breaking Games was um, Pluck Off. It was just like an adult uh, card game. Uh, like it was it was fine. It had some interesting things to it, but it, it was mostly for me a forgettable experience. It, it's a party game that some people might find enjoyable. But then I was doing just some regular like perusing on Kickstarter and on other forums and just seeing what new games were coming out. And seeing if anything piqued my interest, and I saw Dwellings of Elder Vale on like on Kickstarter, and I saw that it was starting to fulfill, and I was you know reading into it and starting to get more interested or excited about the possibilities of it. And then I was looking at the publisher, and I was like, "Wait, Breaking Games?" I was like, "Wait, Breaking Games is who I just worked with." I was like, "I you know I just worked with them on this game," and I was so I was like, "I'll contact them, see if I can uh, you know." find my, find my way to a copy you know so and that was one thing that i was so surprised about and one thing that i actually remember reading through on some of the forums is like they have not done anything like this at all in any of their previous offerings and this was such a massive step up for them in terms of production in terms of like depth of game and it was just like a, it was a very it was a very big ask from a relatively unverified or unvalidated publisher in terms of making games like this and so i was very curious from a point of is this something like is this going to work for them is this something successful like have they found have they found a hit here like a you know home run here or um is 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 this going to skew maybe closer to some of their uh, other stuff and so it was it was mainly like out of curiosity for me as you know, I love worker placement games, and I'm always very excited about them. So I, I jumped into it and and was hoping to get it just based off of curiosity and based off of stuff I wanted. So Devin, uh, as you said, Breaking Games is not re- this is not their wheelhouse, right? The, the, like the closest thing they've done to this is Rise of Tribes, which I I remember you know coming out and and being fairly popular. People did like that game, but nothing ever close to a more complex Euro, especially a hybrid Euro. So how did it play for you? How was how were those initial experiences? What how, what has been your journey through the Elder Vale so far? Um, man, I so I I like it a lot. Um, l- let me be real frank or honest. You know, at, you were discussing the fact that Alex is one of the few people that's discussed maybe uh, things that he didn't like about it or weaknesses or mm-hmm. been one of the few dissenting voices in the community as to what this does. And I come from a completely different side of the spectrum from Alex. Mm. He is very, uh, not in terms of what I think, but in terms of just where we come to games from. You know, he is very enmeshed in the Kickstarter community. He, 
you know, gets a lot of his games from that, and that's like his niche, and and that's where he focuses on. And I would say that Breaking Games and Dwellings of Eldervale is on the surface, it may appear like a lot of the games that Alex and other people who frequent Kickstarter what they like. It is a little different in terms of how that actually applies in terms of gameplay. So, you know, a, a lot of Kickstarter games are massive depth, massive variety, just based off of the amount of stretch goals, the amount of content. I mean, I'm thinking about, you know, Oathsworn, which you and I have played recently, and the mm-hmm. amount of things and freedom that it offers the players. And so, Dwellings of Eldervale on the surface gets billed as this hybrid Ameritrash and Euro combination and I, I, it, to me, it really goes more towards Euro. It goes more towards worker placement. And a lot of the things that superficially look like they might give a lot of freedom, they might give a lot of depth, they might give a lot of player um, agency are actually elements or components of the game that increase depth and replayability rather than variety in each game. I'm thinking specifically about like the tableau building and other stuff like that, where you might initially look at it and say, oh, this is going to allow me to really customize how I play in every single game. Uh, Not really once you learn how the mechanic of the games score at the end. It really actually reinforces and rewards um, depth and focus on just one or two of like kind of the core elemental powers. And like so, a traditional euro. Yeah, and so it, it really rewards that. And so the other things, I don't think that they're necessarily like wasted cards or wasted components. To me, they are just built-in variability and replayability that you know you'll access over time, depending on the factions and other stuff that you play, but aren't going to create this, you know, like organic movement throughout all of those in in, in a very maybe satisfying and Ameritrash way. To to me, the Ameritrash elements are like beautiful in how you look at them, but they aren't mechanically the most influential aspects of dwellings. I'm I understand the uh idea of dwellings as a hybrid game. It it, it certainly is with the Ameritrash elements and the worker placement. I kind of am on the opposite side of where Devin is on this, though. I think the Ameritrash elements of Dwellings potentially have the ability to make the game extremely frustrating. Um, in, in our game that Jan and I played, uh, there were several times where we were kind of fighting over a couple of different spaces on the board to gather resources, to build the dwellings, to kind of expand ourselves into the realms. And when we got to that point, I would have, you know, like four or five dice. And I thought, oh, this should be enough to uh, uh, ex- uh put myself into this area and allow me to build dwellings and things like that. But we'd roll our dice. Jan would get a six and I get nothing but fives. And I would I'm be great at dice out. rolling. <laughs> you are admittedly great at dice rolling. But when that started happening, 
two times in a row, three times in a row, and I didn't have the ability to do anything else because I couldn't gather the resources to go do it. All my people were going to the underworld. I mean, yeah, I got a sword, but the swords weren't helping me because I would throw those swords in for for people who don't know, the swords will allow you to add an extra dice into your fight pool when you're battling. But throwing in those extra dice weren't helping me because I'm extremely bad at rolling dice. I am just like Jesse in that respect. <laughs> and a quick caveat and, here, Will, about, before you keep going, is for, for people that don't have enough information on this game and are looking for the podcast to learn a little bit more about it, um, in this, you always go into combat when you place a worker, but you will always do the action before the combat happens. So, so this is more of an area control issue, more than not being able to complete the Euro action that you really wanted or needed to do in that particular area. Right, that, that, that is correct. But that the Euro section of it just was lost on me because I couldn't go up the tracks very easily on at first. Uh, I couldn't go up the tracks of the elemental powers on the, the kind of the separate board part of the game because... The, all these realms are hex tiles that you're adding as you do certain things. So at first, I had a really hard time of moving up those tracks because I couldn't move in or hold the land that I was trying to use uh, to do it. Maybe that, maybe part of that was just how our first game was built or how it, it happened in that way. But it, it, it happened in our game that you jumped out to a 20 point lead and I was just <laughs> flummoxed because I couldn't it do anything. It wasn't 20 points. Like. It was, it was like more lot. like eight. It was, it was close. Like, so I, it's in going off of, I guess, to be clear to like the people that are listening, both um, Jan and Will and then myself, the max player count we were able to table this at is two. And I'll probably discuss and explore this more through as the episode goes on. I don't think it plays at its best there. I think mm-hmm. this is a game that is going to much like better represent what you can do in it at three, at four, at five. I think at two players, since there's only you know, one other person besides you at the table, I think some of, you know, the frustration that Will was feeling, some of the Ameritrash components with the dice feels more punishing. It feels more consequential when you are the one losing. Um, to uh, p- Part of the, like, caveat or part of the, the, the value that I see in the combat in this is that it's not actually as, you know, in plenty of other games, when you lose your units, they're gone and you can't get them back and you have to waste time producing them. And that's not the case in dwellings. You get them back as soon as you regroup all of your workers, as soon as you bring them back, because all they do is move from the boards to the underworld. Um, And that actually helps generate the swords that Jan and Will were talking about, which give you that bonus in the next fight. So it's kind of like you lose one and gain more of an edge in the next time. So I I think that combat may feel more um, harrowing or frustrating as Will was experiencing at lower player counts. Yeah, you know what? I a hundred percent agree with you. Um, we can we can get into we can get into that very soon. I, I believe that this game is going to shine between three, especially with four. Like the more players you have, the more crazy conflicts that are going on. The larger that that board is, the more options that you get as the game progresses. I think that's what makes this particular game be as you know uh, very special in what it's doing. 
Uh, but I surprisingly, I'm in the middle between both of you. Uh, I hear your argument, uh, Devin, that this is mainly a Euro game. I saw the Euro in this, but I also hear Will's side that the Ameritrash elements that have been embedded into those into those main Euro mechanics can sometimes impede players for perfect information games and players that are looking for for something that plays out exactly how they were hoping that it plays out. And that's one of the things that Dwelling of Eldervale does, that it keeps mystery, it keeps tension throughout every single action because of that combination. And that in itself can be a very unique marriage for a very particular set of players, but it could be disastrous relationship for all the people that were expecting this to be that crunchy, uh, that crunchy game that, you know, has gets all this thinking power, but then includes the Euro element, uh, the Ameritrash elements in a way that didn't impede that. No, they are both very interwoven into each other. So that's why I don't necessarily agree with both of you, because each one has a direct consequence over the other. And those other, and everything that kind of fits in there is where my hesitation around loving this one came from. I'm a big proponent that when a game has a mechanic that is the fun, the, like the fun mechanic, you really focus on the fun mechanic, right? Yeah. And to me, that was a tableau. What this game I thought did <laughs> brilliantly, brilliantly, was that idea that the tableau, you never have down, you never have a turn where you're not doing something. That felt so, so, so good. So, Jan, I might, I might be willing to agree with you on that if I could, had ever had a chance to actually build my tableau in the yep. early game uh, so, because, because of the resource issue that I was having. I don't know if it was just I was going to the wrong places. I just didn't see it. But there was a point where all the cards that were available to buy, I couldn't buy them because I didn't have the resources. And that so was this is really. That's a really interesting point that you bring in because it's it's also going to tie into kind of like my my critique around like those different elements. So the tableau was the strongest piece. If you can get a tableau to build, if you were able to build a tableau, what do I mean by that? Where I feel the Dwellings of Eldervale was not as strong where I think it needed to be was actually in the worker placement. So... The way that it works is that the elemental tiles, there's because there's two types of tiles. You have ruined spaces, which basically imagine these are your main worker placement spots. And then everything else that gets added around it, it's either going to be used for scoring or it's going to be used to gather resources. So those five main worker placement spots did not feel as consequential or beneficial as I would have liked. There wasn't really that much flexibility in the way that that grew out. And I felt that that was a detriment to how I was able to experience the game. That issue that Will is saying, it's twofold. First of all, the only way for you to get Tableau cards is by basically expanding the game board. But every time that you expand the game board, you're also moving and rushing to the end of the game. So if if you do that... Because of A, you just need a new area to to conquer. You're perfectly placed to do that right now, but you don't have the resources uh, necessary for the next stage. You're going to be hampered heavily because when you explore, that is when you have access to this um, assortment of different cards. Those cards, you're able to purchase them with the materials that you have hopefully gathered across the game. But due to the very heavy conflict nature and kind of things shifting around all the time and how things just pivot constantly it's not very simple to get those resources especially get them in bountiful amounts 
And, and, and for the tableau section, bountiful is the key word there because some cards, in order for you to get them, require a lot of resource gathering to make right. them happen. And a lot of specific resources, which actually uh, you mentioned earlier, perfect information games. That may be, may be a phrase that not everybody's cons- uh, uh, everybody's heard of before. A perfect information game is something like chess. You have all the information in front of you. An imperfect game is something that s- things are hidden. Dwellings of Eldervale and a lot of the board games we play are imperfect games because you don't have all the information in front of you. And one of those things is the types of resources you're going to get because they are hidden from you when you place your worker to gather those resources before the combat and all that kind of stuff. So you, you're gathering your resource and then you might not get what you need. Yeah. So, but to, in defense of the system and I, I would clarify going back, you know, I, I guess you guys were like moving yourselves in particular camps of how you view of it. I don't necessarily think of this as only a Euro game. I think that those aspects of it are the more stronger, more influential elements of it. And mm-hmm. that maybe people who are in the Kickstarter realm uh, misinterpreted how all of the mechanics in this game were going to influence each other and as someone who came to it late and not having those expectations upon it it didn't Mm -hmm. bother me in that regard expectations a big deal for this one yeah but going specifically to what you guys were talking about in terms of information you can actually like yes uh, you won't know a hundred percent what you're going to get but you can definitely have a strong idea based off of certain elements have certain resources and that's reinforced on the actual tabloid or, or the t- t- tableau trays um, from game trays inserts or whatever. It shows you what resources um, you need to buy those cards. Um, and it also that shows you what resources are available on those elemental tiles that come there. So if you need potions and scrolls, there are specific elemental tiles and specific elemental tableaus that either give those or require those there is certain variability in there yes because sure that is the more prominent resource but it's not necessarily the only resource that'll be there you have the whole range of resources on each one of these things so every tile is also so one thing that we didn't explain is that every tile that goes on the board that is not one of these five like these actions main action spaces the elemental tiles are going to have a little stack of chips and those chips have resources on them. The really interesting thing about these chips, and Will, I think this is something that we didn't really explore, is that these chips can be used for two things. You're either able to cash in the chip immediately to get the resource that is printed on it, or, or, and this is key, you can slot it into your tableau so that you can get future future of that resource for the rest of the game. And not just that, you're able to constantly cycle these different tokens out of your player board uh, and out of your tableau cards, depending on your need for the game. So one thing that I noticed during our gameplay is that adapting to the situation and and knowing when to prioritize a two level token where you're getting two of a resource instead of cashing in it right now and maybe holding yourself and and slotting that into a tableau card could potentially be much more beneficial down the line if you're trying to focus down a particular path as Devin was implying for those tableau cards sure and and I do appreciate that but once again 
I didn't have the Tableau cards really to slot it in, except for the one main Tableau card that everybody starts with, which has one spot that you can slot that in. And you're right, maybe I didn't think about it right away, but once I did, and I did slot in a two resource thing in there once I eventually got one of those, but it took a little while to get there. And the ones that I had previously, I cashed them in immediately because I needed those resources. That's why I went there. So I so wanted to get them. One- one thing that I will say about this particular portion of the conversation, and and I think this is coming into more of the mm, like things that stood out to me or things that underwhelmed me, was that the, I felt that the different portions of the game weren't as strong as I would have hoped for them to be. Because like in this game, there's a lot of things to balance, right? We've we've already gone through the laundry list of mechanics that this has. I didn't particularly feel that any of the mechanics was sufficiently fleshed out, with the exception of the way that the the way that the worker placement and and combat happens. Not the combat itself, but how the combat happens. I really like that dynamic and that interactivity that the game brings, which is, again is very very opposite to what a traditional euro is. And again, the tableau, but then everything else didn't feel as powerful to me. It didn't feel like I was, you know, working towards enough. I think one thing that might have been valuable as a consideration for the tableau building is that when you when you go onto the ruin tile that allows you to adventure and allows you to put new to, uh, new tiles down onto the board, and it also allows you to grab those tableau cards you buy an adventure card or a tableau card and then after you buy one you have the yep, option to burn and i think it would have been more valuable and more rewarding or um f- like a, a feel good moment for players to be able to reverse that process and to be able yep, to burn first and then get to mm-hmm. see if the new option is something that you wanted because because then there it are gives so many options but yeah, at the same time there, are. there aren't any Depending on what you're doing. Yeah. And I think another part of that is that it, to me, that goes back to uh, something that I think Alex brought up when he was discussing the game is the way that the game scores at the end. It, it really, it really doubles down on focusing on fewer elements and bringing those to the highest level because they are, they're multipliers in terms of your score yep. and they score more than once. So if you have one high, it really, really like, like pays off on that investment. And so um, I think that's one reason why the tableau doesn't feel as good to some people when they don't feel that they're able to have the freedom to experiment with that uh, simply because it's not in the element that's going to pay off the most at the end. Yeah. And like the other the other unfortunate thing about that is like I said to me the tableau was the most rewarding element of this but I didn't have like because I'm limited to focusing either on a path or just don't have enough resources to always get it I couldn't take advantage of all the workers that I made throughout the game and having all those workers and building up your your basically your army is really important to getting to getting to the, that late stage um and just not being able to capitalize on that I don't know felt didn't feel good in a game that I believed was trying to make me feel amazing every single second uh, that it was that it was on me. So w- one thing that I think is interesting, and I, I'd be curious too, and it was a point that I have talked about with you know you guys and other people 
um, in other moments is that I'm curious what people at different points of the hobby feel about this game. Because mm-hmm. on the mm-hmm. surface, this looks like a like veteran or hobbyist gamer, big box extravaganza. And mm-hmm. I really think that this is more like, to me, this is almost more accessible or more engaging than something like Lords of Waterdeep as an intro for worker placement. I think that mm. I think it's so easy to learn and it has a lot going on that people who play games a lot can explore that. But it also just is to me, it's super approachable in a lot of different systems that it has that I think it serves maybe a different space really well in the industry than necessarily a lot of contemporary uh, or a lot of its peers or contemporaries in the Kickstarter scene. I, I hear that. I feel that the interconnectedness of the scoring might push it a little bit more over to midweight. Like I I would say that this is the game you play after Lords of Waterdeep and then you know that you like Lords of Waterdeep. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna hope do a hard other side that this is <laughs> not <laughs> a game you play before Waterdeep because Waterdeep, you know what resources you're getting, you know what you need to get. Nobody's gonna push you out of there. Granted, it's a worker placement game; you need to go there before somebody else does. But I I think Dwellings is just. Like Jan said, that next step up, it, it's a 3.22 weight on BGG. So that's that's comfortably kind of in the middle weight kind of area of game. It's it's. I don't think it's something that a, a new person to the hobby is going to necessarily. Where I'm going to push back with you guys there. on though, where I'm going to push back though, is on how I view the player interaction of those two games. To me, Lords of Waterdeep, one of the first games I played jumping into the hobby. Love it. Still have it. Have the expansion. Have the Broken Token Organizer. It's something I love. I played it digitally. Solid game. When you punish another player in that game, you feel it. Like when you throw a mandatory quest on someone, it can ruin their mood in the entire game because it maybe hits them at the wrong point. Or like when you go to a space in that game, it completely cuts them off of it unless you know they've got uh that one particular arcana quest but anyways yeah it it, it, player interaction in that feels more vicious or feels more um antagonistic between players and i don't really feel that way at all in dwellings because when i felt that way you can go to a spot that someone else (laughs) is already at and before you have a fight you get to do the action And when you get attacked, if you're the one who happens to lose or if you attack and lose, you get your people back. You don't lose them. And so I think that there are a lot of smaller mechanical adjustments in dwellings. I'm I'm talking about when they go to the underworld. Like I'm saying, you don't permanently lose them. And so to me, there are a lot of adjustments that happen there that actually make it more inviting of a play experience than some other worker placement games. I agree 100% with everything you said, but I'm going to give a little bit of pushback in terms of how friendly dwellings can be because you could, in some instances, create blockades if you don't plan out sufficiently in advance, which, again, kind of pushes it to me to more of that midway category, and I think this is what we'll experience, but there's adjacency considerations every time that you place down a meeple. So the first meeple that you can place on a turn can go anywhere, but after that, that meeple needs to be connected, and when you don't 
plan out and sufficiently where exactly, like what you need to do, when you need to do it, or if your opponent is savvy enough and saw that you went to the other side of the board to do something, and they know that you're trying to go for, let's say, the tableau action, which is on the other side of the board, they're not really going to stop you. You know, they're not going to get you to remove your worker from there. So you're going to have to spend an entire action for that regroup. And that lack of for, of, of of planning can be pretty harsh. And you can definitely anticipate when people are doing that as the game keeps going. The one thing I would add is there are certain meeples that you can get and you have slightly more powerful meeples that you can build that can come in at different parts of the board. And the factions that you're playing, each the factions, some of your meeples are going to have specific powers. Like, uh, for instance, there's a dragon meeple that all players can build, but my dragon had a particular power that allowed it to uh, mine more resources when it went out there and the wizard can go anywhere. So there are a few things that, that puzzle can help element you that I talked about, right? That, and that can help you mitigate things. So I, I just, but those are not the things that are going to help you move towards victory because you can't turn them into dwellings, which is something that you need to, to make points and win the game. So I, I'm going to jump back into what you were saying and then uh, respond because I, I think we had some similar experiences, but took different stuff from it. And so to respond to mainly what Jan was saying, I'm going to reiterate what Will was talking about as to me discussing being blockaded and having elements that you feel like you can't do. I think that the variability of the meeples themselves and then the factions are kind of the incremental answers to that problem. Cause you know, the dragon meeple, which everyone can do can fly up to two spaces away. And mm -hmm. then the wizard can teleport to any location. That's like, doesn't have anybody on it. And then the warrior can start its turn in an aggressive position, like clearing someone else out um, if you use the warrior first. So I think each of those three unique workers beyond just the traditional meeples um, give you positional and area control solutions to some of the, the problems that you might have spatially in the game. And I think that those are like core things that you have to like definitely rely on and value and, and consider with your movements. But even beyond that, moving to what will also mentioned is the factions um, that they're not, they're not game breaking variations or yeah. fluctuations, yeah, but no. they are very situationally useful. And if you pick mm -hmm. the right factions, you can really have some interest. There's, I think it's almost always, you eat two of the four meeple types have an ability, I think, with each faction. They at least have one, but I think it's actually two. Um, and so those faction powers can be very useful. Like the dragon that Will was talking about, that's one that I had. And that, to me, that since you can mine an additional tile, that helps guarantee on certain elemental tiles that you get possibly the one that you were looking for just based off of the mathematics of pulling two tiles instead of one. Um, so I think that helps solve uh, some of that. And Will, you mentioned the idea of dwellings being kind of the main way to like like, like the game pro game progression where it ends. And I also, when I kind of first started looking at the rules and had my first game, I thought also that dwellings was definitely going to be the way that you finish the game. And uh, I was looking on a thread and Luke Laurie, the designer, actually mentioned that the last dwelling, the sixth dwelling is like statistically through playtesting, 
a minor way to finish. It almost f- always goes off of the adventure tiles or off of the yep. elemental tiles. I, um, I can see it. Yeah. I can see how that wouldn't be the case. In in our game, we ended by building all six dwellings, but we were down to the last tile being placed out too. I think uh, uh, being primarily <laughs> a Euro-focused gamer, I wanted to build the dwellings first <laughs> or wanted to focus on that. So that's why our game ended the way it did. It's interesting to hear that... Uh, um, that the uh, that Luke Laurie thought that uh, running out of the adventure tiles is the primary way to end the game because that doesn't necessarily generate generate victory points per se. I wasn't saying that it was the primary way to end it. I th- I was I think what he mentioned was that it is most often the way that the game ends. Sure, sure. Pri- primary was perhaps the wrong word. The the thing you got to remember is that when dwellings are being contested people are going to have to dig through that deck no matter what. You know, the, the stack will deplete 100%. And before oh, yeah. we go to the to the next question, uh, Devin, I think, I think you're 100% right in terms of the positional elements within this particular game. That is definitely not something that I focus on enough. Like, I remember reading the rule, but because it was a first play, I really never took advantage of the dragon flying two spaces. I, I don't think I even knew that the warrior could basically just take out pieces automatically or, or how, how that works. I, wasn't, I, I had my mage at the end of the game, so I limited myself a lot, and that's why the blockade probably felt way stronger than it did. I still, I still believe that you can blockade some some players from certain actions, but as you mentioned, dwellings is very flexible in how and how that does. So before we go to the to the most important question, I think for this particular game, it is important that we talk about this. Was there anything? that stood out to you about Dwellings of Eldevere? Was there something unexpected, something that surprised you and that you're just so happy that that was explored in this particular title? Yeah, I think actually something that was interesting to me was that in in Dwellings of Eldevere, you have uh, the monsters that are going to kind of uh, menace you as they come out. They have different layers that come out. And when those come out of the adventure stack, they're put into the board area. And I thought something that was really kind of surprised me that I didn't know when we first started playing the game, but we learned eventually is that a lot of the times you're just going to fight those monsters and then they're going to die. And that can definitely happen in this game. Jan was able to kill a chaos beast, which was completely flipping awesome because that thing was like insane. But another thing that you can do is you can dominate the monsters and they become one of your workers, which was very interesting to me. I took control much later in the game uh, of the 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 living storm, and that uh, actually came in pretty handy to moving forward in the game. So that did actually surprise me and was a very very nice touch. I think I think in too too many of these style of games like you have like something that pops into my mind obviously is project elite you're just going to be killing those monsters and those minis just go off and they're off the board and then they're dead or you know cthulhu death may die you kill those monsters but taking control of a monster and then using that monster is something really interesting and and made the game a little bit more uh fun like i said it happened a little bit later in the game but once it happened it it definitely turned up the fun factor for me uh, so yeah, I, I feel like because we, you know, prefaced a lot of our conversation at the beginning around the hype with dwellings and 
just because of, I think, internal conversations that we had prior to this that I feel like we pretty much just jumped straight into the meat of mechanics and things that we thought were fiddly or things that we disagreed on and our overall kind of like impressions of how everything went together and maybe where this, you know, skews away from the hype and all of those different kind of conversations. What I didn't do at all so far is talk about what I love about this game. Like I really haven't. <laughs> ta- I mean, I, I feel like I've been, you know, po- politicking or discussing certain things, but just yeah, defending, defending. Yeah, yeah, it's just, just, a, so just, just a minor things oversight. I like about this game. Um, number one, uh, <laughs> and I mean, I, I wrote, I wrote a thing about this, uh, the game trays. This mm-hmm. is a beast of a game. It is a huge box. And when you look at all of the components of this, if this did not come with the organized inserts that are there, this would be a monstrous thing to table. Like the amount of plastic baggies that you would have to like shovel onto your table. It, it would be is a lot. unplayable. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it would just not play very well. Or it, or it would be so frustrating to set up or break down that it would dissuade you from playing. But the inserts are so well organized in this. Like, Game Trays really did a great job. And it helps accessibility remarkably. Uh, you, you can get this. You can break it out. You can grab the factions you need. You can grab the parts. You don't even have to break them out because they just sit in the trays as you play. And to me for what could have been a turnoff or a barrier to play actually went the reverse and made it more of an accessible game than it could have been. Um, also, I love worker placement games and I thought that this did a lot of like small innovative changes that make it different from pretty much all the other worker placement games I have, which is like, you know, I, I have nowhere near Alex's collection i have nowhere near many people's collections in this hobby you know i have probably 60 to 70 or something like that and i have culled a lot over the years but one thing that i focus on is like what makes a game unique and i think that the Mm -hmm. way this does worker placement is unique and the way of regrouping or recalling your workers and having actions is something that makes every yes like the, the regular worker placement that you were talking about jan that may not feel as good on each individual play, but you never feel necessarily like there's a turn where you just had nothing like, because each placement does something and the recalling does something and each placement might set you up for a better recall. It has like added value to each interaction or each play that I liked. Um, One thing that (laughs) I did not expect, um, which I'm torn over is the one size fits all box. Um, I have just the standee version of this game and I'm happy with it. I, I would probably have just preferred that from the get go, but I have massive cardboard box placeholders in my box that would have held miniatures and other oh. deluxe upgrade components. Interesting. That. I don't have anything there because I have the standee version. And so I am left with a gigantic box akin to, you know, a chip theory games or a gloom Haven for that, a small game. Yeah. For, for what could have been a much smaller footprint. Mm-hmm. And for someone who only has, you know, this 
you guys can't see it for all you listeners, but I have <laughs> just an entertainment system with uh, like bookshelves on either side. And that's where all my games are because my wife does not like the idea of Swedish calyxes and she does <laughs> not like the idea of more shelving. And so to have a game that feels like that much waste um, is, is an issue. For, for me, I've, I've been, I've been doing my very best to not go with the obvious, like, this game is huge. I don't like it because of, blah, 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 <laughs> because I always do that. And everybody just assumes, like, oh, Jen, this is a big box game. Oh, I know why Jen's not going to like it. No, you're wrong. Mechanically, our reason, these are the reasons why that is just a, a, an extra. But, anyways, one thing that, re- that I really enjoyed about this, and I, I've already kind of mentioned it a little bit, is the customizability of the worker placement spots that you are preparing on the on the on your on your tableau i really like the idea of slotting in those pieces and being able to determine okay why am i what am i going to need for this turn okay what's going to happen here oh do i need a gem right now can i just can i use this gem right now get the gem or should i bank this gem so i have three in like in my next two regroups i absolutely loved that i can prepare that I can make that decision that that planning could benefit me later on and that it was always so flexible because usually in a lot of euros you don't have flexibility almost anywhere you make a mistake once like you slotted that in at the beginning of the game tough 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 patoodles you can't ever move that again that's a that's a well-known phrase tough patoodles patoodles patoodles. it's something like it starts with a p that's all I remember but I loved that element of it um, again, it's just, I wanted more of that because that to me was the, the element that sung. And speaking of, I think this is a good opportunity because Devin, you've already mentioned like, oh, how, how can I have done this, this big of a disservice, not talking about what I loved about the game. Let's go into that. Did you enjoy it? And would you play it again? The pivotal question of played it once. And I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, and jump into this because I'm, I'm already in the zone for it. <laughs> I, I would definitely play Dwellings of Eldervale. Anytime anybody would put it in front of me, I would especially play. I would play it honestly at any player count because I I will versus you. I did find it enjoyable. I'm just squarely in the middle of this being in my own collection, which is sad because just like Devin said, I really like the innovation in this game. And I believe that innovation is the key word here because there's a lot of really interesting things that happen. And my biggest gripe that we never talked about, and I think there's a reason why we never talked about this. My biggest gripe with this game are the magic cards because the magic (laughs) cards made me lose this game. Um, So I love variability in games. It's awesome. But I like when the game knows where to vary it to make the variety happen. And the magic deck, I feel contained too many separate mechanics for it to be a, a good a good balance. And what do I mean by that? In the magic deck, you have both quick action spells, you have quest cards that you can complete, which give you points immediately, and you also have prophecy cards that you use at the end of the game. They're all in a singular deck. So I did have, not have you like played that. Dune Imperium? Because you, yes, you talked about it with Jeremy. I couldn't remember if that was one that you said that you hadn't had just read up on or if you had played. Would you have been more happy with Dwellings if the entire magic deck had been split into, like, the magic cards, like the combat cards of Dune, and then quest and prophecy cards, like the intrigue deck of Dune, like, split up like that? Would you have preferred that more? 
I I think so. I think I would have been okay. I think I would have been okay if the prophecy cards weren't in there. I think mm. like a combination between quest cards, you know, the ones that get you victory points, and then the regular magic abilities, that would have been fine. My issue was the prophecy card because it like for example, Will got three prophecy cards or two prophecy cards from the beginning of the game. Yes. Every single time I went to the magic deck, I not once got mm. a single prophecy card during the entire game. Yeah. And that that's what cost me our, my game. It was, it was actually two portions. One was down to a, a dice roll because Will got a... Uh, <laughs> Will got, got a dwelling when I needed the dwelling. Yep. Um, and also those magic cards. I despised that randomness in that deck. I hated how how much of an influence it had on my particular game gameplay. Of course, played it once, name of the show. Um... But overall, I think Dwellings of Elderville is a really solid game, but do not, do not allow yourself to be influenced by the ridiculous hype. This is a game, it's not going to be perfect, and you have to know what you're getting into. It is not a uh, one box fits all, although if you see the box, you can definitely fit all your games in there. But either way, (laughs) you couldn't couldn't escape it without a dig. You couldn't escape it. Oh, oh, and I did not like the overproduction on this. Mm. I thought I mm. thought it went way overboard in a lot of different areas that it really didn't need to, um, which added to the Kickstarter bloat. And I and, and and that makes me sad because I feel that a lot of people are going to equate this one to like, oh, it's just another Kickstarter game when it's not like not really this this game is special in what it's doing. It might not be the perfect game for me in my library, but it is definitely a game that I would recommend a lot of people check out because it is so unique. This is definitely a game that I feel like if once they finish with, you know, all the fulfillment, uh, you know, across everywhere and once they finish with this print run, if they came out with a second print run that had more of a standard retail box, to me, it would be one of those games that I was like, this is a go-to purchase. Like, this is a go-to purchase recommendation for people who like worker placement games. Yeah, I agree, Um, honestly. Put and, that at the fifty dollar mark, sixty dollar mark. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Put put that at fifty or sixty bucks, and I I think that you know, yeah. If you guys disagree with me on the order in which you go for it, if you jump into the hobby and you play Lords of Waterdeep and you love it, this would be like my next recommendation. Yeah, um, I agree. So I, I definitely think it fits in that space and fits mm-hmm. in that part of uh, the hobby for people who like worker placement games. 100%. I I understand the hype. Like I get that. I th- I think you guys came in a- at a certain point and maybe felt about it differently. But like I understand why this has the hype that it did because it is it's just a solid game. And I think there are a lot of mechanics that make it satisfying or rewarding to the player. There are hiccups along the way for sure. Um, and like, you know, I, if I don't if some f- find some way to get the deluxe or legendary things to just justify the massiveness that is this box that I have, I would definitely hope for a real tail version so I could downsize to it. Um, but in terms of just, did I enjoy it or would I play it again? Like a hundred percent enjoyed it. I, I loved it. I thought it was a lot of fun. I mean, I understand why it was top 2020 for a lot of people, not necessarily the top, but in the top lists. And I, I would play it again in a heartbeat. If, if I eventually downsize or if for some reason, I, I, I don't know if I'd want to get rid of it. I actually, I was going to say if I got rid of it, I'd play it if anybody else asked, but I don't know if I want to get rid of it because I think it is just. I think it does a lot of things right 
And I think that the sins that it does have are, to me, personally, for what I value in games, easily covered up for by what works. Okay. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm going to break in here with my final thoughts. I'm going to start this by saying I am not a miniatures game person. When Jan asked, did you want to play Dwellings of Eldervale? I was like, eh, I don't really know if I do. Um, and after playing it, I think I was validated in my personal opinion. I probably won't play Dwellings ever again, which is okay, because I have a lot more worker placement games in my collection that uh, I feel provide me more fun and enjoyment. Things like Viticulture, things like... Um, the West Kingdom series of games, all of those in my mind are, are more fun for me, maybe because I enjoy kind of the resource management side of it more than the gaining things to spend things to do things. But it's which I realize is resource management, but it's, it's slightly different. <laughs> so um, you know how it, you know how it goes um, in terms of the hype. It, it's not necessarily that. I heard the hype and I was just like, ooh, I don't, I don't think I'm going to like this because I want to be contrarian and I don't like minis and that's a stance that I have. I don't think that's really where it came from because, you Your know, voice just aged like 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be surprised how many voices are in this in this head. Um, but uh, I there's a game that I like. That kind of, that I I really really like that kind of falls into this category, and I think Jan knows what I'm going to say here. Wingspan is a game. Ugh. That, Ugh. What? Wingspan what? is a game. Yeah, Devin is in this category. Is in this category too. Wingspan is a game that frequently people are like, I don't get the hype. Why do you like Wingspan? It's so. Oh my god. Well. Dwellings is that game for me. I, I don't get the hype. Oh, this. okay. Now I, don't I understand. I was like, are you comparing Dwellings of Eldervale with Wingspan? I, I thought it was the same thing too for a second. <laughs> so I was, no. I, was, I was just as confused. There, there's no comparison confused. because Wingspan is better. Fight me. Oh my anyway. God. Okay. Oh, wow. We're not going to get into this. <laughs> no, no, we're, no, we're not. I'm saying it purely to get the reaction, but it, it, it falls into that same, like I said, falls into that same thing. Just it, it, it's big on hype. And this one, this one is mine. I don't understand the hype behind this, uh, that combat mechanic for the first half of the game really made me not enjoy my game so much so that halfway through I was like, Oh, when is this going to be done? And I, I eventually, yeah, I eventually pulled through and won the game somehow. Still not sure how that happened, but even though I won, I still didn't feel great about it. And if that happens, that's probably not the game for me. Uh, so will, before you kind of like finish one thing that I was curious about was just like your, how you felt about combat in general with dwellings. Like, did, did you feel that it didn't go deep enough? Did you feel that it shouldn't have been there? What was your issues with it and how like, could it have been changed to have affected your experience with it? I think my, my main issue with the, the combat was the inability to really mitigate like bad dice rolling. 
I'm fully, I will fully admit I am just as bad at dice rolling as Jesse is. There needs to be some kind of added mitigation factor that would probably make the combat better in my eyes. It, it, it's just, it, it's just the one-to-one comparison is just too like, knife's edge for me. Like maybe using the swords uh, to re-roll a single die, for example, yeah, instead of a, just using swords just to add dice to it. Yeah, even something as simple as that, adding a re-roll mechanic, because there is no there is no re-roll mechanic. What you have is what you get. With all that said, uh, this is pretty interesting. I think we're all on different, on different spectrums. Will's a no, Devin's a big yes, and I'm squarely in the middle. Uh, <laughs> pretty cool. Guys, thank you so much for joining me. And for for everybody that made it to this point, please let us know what you think. Should we play this again? Should we bring it to the channel more often? Should we give it another shot? At least Will and me. Let us know in the comments. You can go to platedonce.com, leave your comments there, or join us on our Quackalo podcast uh, Facebook group, or go to our board game geek guild, the Quackalo podcast, which we now have a guild for. Basically, well, there's so many different ways for you to contact us, but the most important thing is that we do want to hear from you. So please go ahead and comment if you can. Are we uh, done with the cold open? I was going to do the intro. Not, but Devin, you're doing it again. The the cold open goes at the beginning. Welcome (laughs) to Played It Once, a podcast about games. This latest failed attempt at bringing you quality entertainment was brought to you by the Quackalope Podcast. We love to hear from you, so don't forget to leave a review and subscribe. If you'd like to connect with us, follow us on any of our social channels or visit our website. But regardless of what you do, remember to do the important thing. Get out and play some games. Until next time.